What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for a very special Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99, and you can get all of our baseball and fantasy baseball content at Ethos Fantasy BB. That's E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB for all podcasts, articles, different news and notes, every link that we got on the baseball side. Get shared out on Twitter at Ethos Fantasy BB. So make sure you're following over there. If you have not already checked out the website, sportsethos.com, we got coverage for all four major sports and a lot of great stuff going on with DFS, gambling, and all the rest of it. So please make sure you guys are checking it out. Today, we have a very special guest joining the show for the first time. I've been meaning to talk with him for quite a while, and I'm very happy that we were able to make some time today. You know him as one part of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast over on CBS. He also does football work for them over there. Chris Towers, how are you doing today, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me, John. I'm happy to be here. It's great to finally talk with you. You guys need to be following Chris over on Twitter at CTowersCBS. What do you got going on right now, Chris? How has uh, your baseball season been? I mean, mine has been off to a, a weird start. I'm sure yours has as well. Well, I'm I'm in uh, fourth to last place overall in the TGFBI overall rankings. So, you know, things are going. Things are going. No, I, I've had a, had a lot of Chris Sale. A lot of Justin Verlander, like my ideal pitching start this year was like Justin Verlander, Robbie Ray and Chris Sale. And I did that in like two different leagues and uh, it's not going super great. Like it's one of those starts where like I have some leagues where I'm like, this team's going to turn around. I've got one team that I drafted Fernando Tatis in the second round, uh, Justin Verlander in the third, Robbie Ray in the fifth. And that's one that like it makes sense why that team's struggling. I have some other teams that I don't have that excuse for and uh, feeling less confident in that. But it's been, like you said, it's been a weird start to the baseball season. It seems like we're dealing with a different offense envi- offensive environment again for seemingly about the sixth time in the last four seasons, which is making the process of analyzing fantasy baseball a lot more difficult. If you listen to fantasy baseball today, I think you'll 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 be aware of the existential crisis that this has pushed on to Scott White in particular pretty much every every episode so it's been a it's been an interesting start but yeah it's uh it's kind of tough yeah i mean tgfbi is the only league where i'm actually treading water at this point everywhere else looks pretty bad i did a main event qualifier 15th right now uh not looking so great in a lot of yeah. my leagues and a lot of it does come down to the injuries we've seen a lot of it pitchers but yeah. there's also just like you said, the environment is kind of hard to judge. We have, uh, you know, is the ball the same? Is the ball different? It's, it's you know, the sticky, the rosin stuff is now kind of coming into yep. play now with the Scherzer thing. And there was the whole David Cohn Sunday Night Baseball segment. Yeah. Maybe there is still some sticky stuff going on. Even if it's legal sticky stuff, maybe there is still some kind of advantage there. So it's still very hard to figure out what's going on. We have some big outliers uh, to talk about here today in the early going, both on the good side and on the bad side. Brian Anderson has been really good to start the season for Milwaukee. I've been cautious in adding him anywhere. I I get a lot of questions about him. Should I drop, you know, fairly established fantasy Mm -hmm. players for him? I just don't see anything in the profile that suggests like a true breakout, fairly limited in terms of his average stolen base numbers. The lineup context is okay. Uh, Are you sold on Brian Anderson yet? Or do you think this is just more a hot start than anything else? I thought it was a somewhat interesting, like late round sleeper coming into the season with the move to Milwaukee, just because that's a pretty significant park upgrade over Marlins Park. And, you know, Brian Anderson, when he was at his best, was very like, I'm going to age myself here, but like pre like really, really good Kyle Seeger, where he was just like sort of a league average hitter. Every year, you know, Brian Anderson back in 2019, 810 OPS, followed that up in 2020 with an 810 OPS, right around a 25 homer pace both of those seasons. And so, you know, like there was nothing exceptional about him, but it it was a situation where I thought there was the potential for a bounce back here. But the one thing that's always fun in in this part of the season is like the small sample size theater. And, you know, we were talking about uh, Adolis Garcia on the podcast the other day, just as an example of a guy who... After it was on Sunday night's episode after his three homer game. And it's like, wow, Dolis Garcia, he's got like an 850 OPS. He's cut his strikeout right down. He's still hitting the ball hard. Man, he's having a great season. A lot of people faded him. And that looks pretty dumb. And Scott pointed out, well, 
three days ago, he had a 670 OPS or whatever it was. And so, you know, we're still at that point in the season where a couple of big games can really skew your numbers. And in Anderson's case, he had that monster start to the season. First seven games, 1593 OPS. He had 10 RBI in the first seven games. In the 16 games since then, 203 average. He's striking out a ton, 19 times in 65 plate appearances with a 617 OPS. And so, you know, it is one of those cases where I think the overall numbers are probably a little inflated by the hot streak at the start. I think he's better than a 617 OPS, but I don't think he's someone you look at the overall numbers and say, well, yeah, he's an 878 OPS guy moving forward. The, you know, the expected stats are quite good still, which is surprising because his average exit velocity is fairly low, but he tends to be hitting the ball, you know, barrel rate super high, 17.9%. I think he's probably just got hot to start the season. And I think he's a fine corner infielder, especially in a 15-team league. You know, it's a, it's a decent lineup. It's a good park. It's a situation where, like, if we get to the end of the year and Brian Anderson has 93 RBI and 22 home runs and hits 270, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, he's well on his way to the 93 RBI. He's got 18 already. Um, but it's not a situation where, like, I've fundamentally altered how I feel about Brian Anderson yet. Yeah, I think it's too soon. I don't. I don't know. I feel like we're looking a little bit, and like you said, like he's missed some time over the last couple of seasons, but he's still like about a 20 home run pace, roughly. The only time he's actually hit 20 home runs was in 2019 with yeah. Miami. In 2019, we know the environment. We're talking about the environment before we earlier. Uh, the environment in 2019, everybody was hit. I think Jeff McNeil hit 25 home runs in 2019. <laughs> uh, so. I still don't really know if I'm going to be jumping in with both feet. Let's just say this third base position. Would you rather have Brian Anderson right now going forward or Gunnar Henderson? I would still rather have Gunnar Henderson. I know it's been a really tough start to the season, but my general philosophy is with guys that I was drafting inside of the top 100 or top 120, whatever the the number is, it's going to take a lot of time to convince me to change my opinion on them. And, and obviously that's less true of Gunnar Henderson than it is Nolan Arenado, who has a much longer track record of being very good. But, you know, in Henderson's case, like he's still hitting the ball really hard. You know, the the barrel rate's decent. It's actually not down much from last year. The average exit velocity right in line with last year. It's just he's struggling out too much. And that may continue to be an issue. He's got some holes in his swing, but I'm not going to give up on a guy with Gunnar Henderson's upside. Uh, for you know what I think is probably a flash in the pan in Brian Anderson. Yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of content is focused. I know you guys try and focus more on you know shallow leagues if you can. There's not so much talk on your show about NFBC leagues. I know there's a mm-hmm. lot of NFBC content. 15 team leagues, yes, he's viable in 15 team leagues. I was thinking 10 and 12 team leagues. You might be maybe 12. You can get away with it, but I think in a 10 team league, I'm not really sure that he is going to be somebody who does cut it. And it's kind of surprised me this year. I did a poll before the season what leagues people were playing and there's a lot more people in 10 team leagues and i would have thought uh, i don't have the largest following uh but yeah. you know based on the people who responded a lot of people playing in 10 team leagues so i don't think that he is necessarily an option there it's a nice hot start and like you said he's kind of tricked us a little bit that early on he was really good he had a two home run game the other night he's rostered in like two-thirds of leagues if you're looking at like yahoo leagues i think cps is probably pretty similar I'm just not quite there in terms of dropping an established uh, player for him. Even though Gunner's not really established, there's a lot more upside uh, in a Gunner. Yeah. I think. And the thing with Brian Anderson is you, if you've already had him on your roster, great. You bank those points. Yeah. You don't get them moving forward. You know, you, you get what he does from here on out if you're adding him. And I still just think Gunner Henderson's going to be better the rest of the way. Yeah, I'm totally there with you. James Outman. Uh, let's move on to James Outman. He has looked ridiculously good so far uh when Mookie was out there he moved up to the top of the order for a couple games some people thought that might stick now he has moved back down to the middle of the lineup but to this point James Outman has seven homers a couple steals he's batting over 300 is he the next kind of big thing of the Dodgers struck gold here or is again is this more of just a hot start than anything else a bit of both I think you know the 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 key thing for me when it comes to young left-handed hitters is always going to be, especially on a team like the Dodgers, and I would throw the Rays in there as well, as as teams that are willing to platoon young guys, even if it might not be the best thing for their development. You remember Gavin Lux when he first got called up was basically in a platoon. Uh, Jock Peterson was was platooned pretty early on. So 
you know, I want to see competence against lefties. And we're talking about a tiny sample size of James Altman, 19 plate appearances, but uh, five walks, four strikeouts in 19 plate appearances. It's a very small sample size. We still need a lot more information, but so far he has not been overmatched. And I think that's the, uh, that's the key thing here is can he continue to be good enough against lefties if you look under the hood uh, average exit velocity 86 miles an hour against lefties hitting a lot of ground balls there's some swing and miss there so that might be you know kind of an illusion but given the very good minor league numbers that james outland's put up and then given the the very good production in the majors so far backed up for the most part by his you know, bad at ball data. I, I feel like he's legitimately going to be a contributor all year. Yeah. Do you think that you maybe should look at trying to sell high at this point, just based on the hot start? He's like a top 20 player to this point. I don't think he'll keep that up, but would you be trying to to kick the tires on an Outman trade if you could? It depends because outfield, you know, we knew coming into the season that outfield wasn't going to be great. And, you know, we had guys like Oscar Colas and, and, you know, I, Masataka Yoshida, he's heating up lately, but you know, overall hasn't been very good. So it's been, you know, the 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 breakout candidates at outfield haven't really uh come to fruition yet. And Outman has. So like part of the problem with selling him is like I don't know how many leagues where I have extra outfielders. Um, you know, I guess the ones where I have Fernando Tatis, I might have outfield depth to spare, but it's um you know, given the injuries at shortstop, I'm also not sure I have the the flexibility there. So it's, I think part of it is just, it's really hard to trade a player like James Altman right now because you're not going to, you're certainly not going to get face value for what he's doing and, and you shouldn't give up face value for what he's doing right now. He's not going to be an 1100 OPS player, but could he be, I don't know, a guy who hits 275 with, 25 homers and 10 steals. I think that's within the realm of possibility. Yeah. So I, um, I don't necessarily think he's a sell high candidate. I, I kind of would have to be blown away. I think there are better sell high candidates on this list. Okay. Um, I got one share of Outman. It was in a draft champions league and I wish I had more. I mean, I just, I heard some people talking about him before the season to mm-hmm. some degree, but I, the hype wasn't like crazy. You know, it wasn't like he wasn't being pushed up too much. I think his ADP ended up being maybe, in the 300 somewhere so he's been an incredible value uh to this point i am very happy that i have that one share wish i had more uh, but that's usually usually the way that it goes i wish i had some cody bellinger though i wish that i had even just one share of cody bellinger based on the early returns could he be back to quasi mvp cody bellinger um you know to this point five homers four steals he's batting 300 maybe he just needed a change of scenery chris is that what happened here and he's you know breaking out again I think it's possible. I'm really, I'm really, really struggling with this one because he's another guy who, you know, before that five homer game, he was having a pretty media or that five, five hit game. Excuse me. That was uh, eight games ago. He was having a kind of mediocre season. His OPS was like 770. He was walking, but he wasn't really hitting for a ton of power. I, I still struggle with this because like, in a lot of ways, he doesn't look that different than last season, right? Like his average exit velocity, his max exit velo, his hard hit rate, those are all quite low, actually. Third, 23rd percentile for average exit velo, 46th for max exit velo. You know, this is a guy who, when he was an MVP caliber player, was, you know, 91 mile per hour average exit velocity. Right now, he's 86.8. Um, but he's making a ton of contact. You know, the strikeout rate is down to 14.1%. That's the lowest of his career, even lower than the the MVP season when he was outrageously good. I don't know. I I, I really struggle with it because, like, there are definitely good signs. There are definitely things that Cody Bellinger is doing well. And there are also still, I think, some signs that his swing is kind of out of whack. He's got a 16% pop-up rate, which, you know, when – He's always been a guy who hits a fair amount of pop-ups because he has a, a gear, a, a swing oriented for hitting fly balls and, and you know, trying to pull the ball. And, but I just, I don't know if I buy it. I do think like Bellinger versus Outman, I think I would view Bellinger as more of a sell high candidate than Outman. 
and yeah, maybe yeah. that's just anchoring too much to my pre preconceived notions about Cody Ballinger because I pretty much thought he was done coming into this season. I didn't think the chances of a bounce back were particularly high, and so I'm just penalizing him for my my expectations coming in. Well, when you leave a, an organization like the Dodgers, where you figure if there's something wrong with a player, the Dodgers will be able to fix it. If the Dodgers were unable to do anything with Bellinger for the last, I believe it's three lackluster seasons, there yep. was not much reason to be that hopeful. Uh, maybe it was just a you know change of scenery, smaller media market than Los Angeles. It's still Chicago, uh, but Man. smaller than Los Angeles. Maybe he's just out of the spotlight a little bit more. I'm intrigued. I, I, I think that maybe you'd be able to sell high more so just even based on the name brand because some people will still think back, oh, yeah, he's you know former MVP. Uh, they'll see what he's done so far this year. You might be able to bank like a top 75 player for Bellinger in the right scenario. I've seen some crazy trades. I've seen some crazy trades go down. Bellinger, I would agree. I think you could probably get more from him from Outman, and it's just i'm not maybe not solely based on track record but i think a good part of that is just based on oh he's cody bellinger you know he was an mvp a couple of years ago so definitely interesting i think a lot of these guys are going to talk about it wouldn't hurt to even just see what the kind of value is i mean there's some guys we're going to talk about where i think you should probably just bank them but when there's a player who is outperforming their expectations so drastically early in the season i don't think it ever hurts to just see what the market is in your league i've seen some I did a mailbag like a week ago, seeing some trades that have gone down, and some of them are crazy. People really are in the mindset of what have you done for me lately to start the season, and in your shallow leagues, people who don't pay as much attention, you might be able to to really take advantage of somebody uh, with a particular trade offer. Josh Lowe is the next guy I, I think we should, has warranted our discussion. Uh, four homers, four steals, three thirty three average thus far. He's playing most of the time, not every single day. I think we might have been a year early on Josh Lowe because I was pretty in on him last season. I thought he'd have regular at-bats. He did not. He was fairly poor uh, in his time in the bigs last year. It looks like he's breaking out, Chris. Is this legit with Josh Lowe? Yeah, I, the only problem with Josh Lowe, and, and I am a believer to for the most part because I love a post-hype sleeper. I, I love a guy who we we tend to like when the young guys get called up, we tend to get really, really excited. And then if they struggle, we're done. Yeah, it's just like we we've given up on on this player, and there there tends to be sort of an emotional swing, in in some regards to like, well, this guy killed me, so I can't trust him again. And you know, I like to take advantage of that. In Lowe's case, I hate that the Rays have multiple guys with the same last name that are pronounced differently because I always want to say Lau, especially because I am a big Brandon Lau guy. Um, and they used to have Nate too. <laughs> yeah, uh, who is Josh Lowe's brother? I think, I Are think they? they're, I think they're related. Yeah. I yeah, think that right. is, is Josh Lowe's older brother. Um, but yeah, Josh Lowe is largely as advertised so far. He's, you know, getting on base. He's hitting for power. He's stealing bases when he's on. The only problem is, as we were talking about with Outman, the, the Rays are an organization who will just, you could be the top prospect in baseball. And if they think you can't hit lefties, they're just not going to play you against lefties because they're trying to wring out every marginal bit of value that they can from the roster they have. And so, you know, Josh Lowe has played eight plate appearances against lefties so far. He has 56 against righties. He's been heavily skewed. I don't I haven't looked at it in like a week. I I think he started one game against the lefty, maybe. Um, let me just check that versus left-handed starter he has no starts against lefties he's a pure platoon player and so it's one where you know the the triple slash line's probably going to look pretty good he's probably going to be a little less valuable for fantasy than he otherwise might be because of that um so i i would imagine you can't get too much for josh Lowe because everyone knows that he's a, a platoon guy and it's unlikely to change you know maybe he can force the the raise hand but I think it would take a, a a minor miracle to do that. And so I think he's probably going to be a part-time player moving forward. In your 15-team Roto Leagues, that doesn't really matter, right? Because it's just the accumulation of stats. And if he hits 20 homers and steals 20 bases, which I think is within the realm of possibility, you don't really care that you know he only started four games in week 13. Yeah. In your head-to-head points leagues or your, or your 12-team Roto Leagues or even 10-team categories leagues, where the replacement level is a lot higher on the waiver wire, it does get a lot harder to justify playing a pure platoon player. It's why, 
you know, someone like Jock Peterson, who had really good numbers last season, didn't end up being all that valuable for fantasy. You know, he had 874 OPS last season. He's got a 906 OPS this season. He's been really good. It's just he doesn't play enough to to quite maximize his fantasy value. I think that's probably the case with Lowe, where his value is much different in a 15-team roto than those shallower leagues. Yeah, I think in the shallower leagues where the value would come from is if you're in a daily changes league and you have sure. the luxury of having another outfielder who is maybe playing on the short side of that platoon or even just another outfielder in general. Uh, you know, you plug in low for maybe five days a week and then it, it, you really don't feel the pain of that in a daily changes league like you would in a weekly lock league. If it's like a weekly 12-team league, I agree. It'd be a, a lot harder to play him, but definitely hopeful. I mean, the Rays, like you said, too, the Rays are, are strange. They sent down Taj Bradley today, kind of surprisingly, <laughs> so... You never really know what's going to happen uh, with the Rays, but Josh Lowe so far has looked very impressive uh, to this point. You mentioned post-hype players. Let's go to Jared Kalanick. I'm tending to, I don't know, I want to be more skeptical, but at the same time, he's looked very good. He's getting hits, it seems, every single night. He's hitting home runs. He had, a, I think, a three-game home run streak last week, and he's hit home runs in the last two games he's played here uh, against St. Louis. Six homers and three steals so far with a 319 average. Jared Kelnick, is he legit? Is he? I know I've asked you that question for most of these guys, but does Jared Kelnick, do you think, is he going to reach those heights that we had hoped for a year or two ago? You know, it, it, it's funny that coming into the season, the, the big question was well, I guess there were two. One, can Jared Kelnick hit at all? <laughs> um, which was an open question coming into the season. I think he's answered that one. I think like, the skill set works at the majors. Now it's a question of is he a 240 hitter with 25 homers, or can he be something more than that? And you know, I, I think the the concerns were one, can he hit lefties? Two, can he hit anything but fastballs? Because you looked at the first two seasons, his expected Woba against fastballs, his rookie season, 371. In 2022, it was 357. Those aren't elite numbers. You know, you'd rather see a guy crushing fastballs, but he wasn't overmatched. The The problem was he just breaking balls and off-speed pitches. He was just completely overmatched. Whiff rates over 40% against both breaking and off-speed pitches. Expected Wobas under 230 for both. And he's improved against breaking and off-speed pitches. You know, his expected Woba against breaking pitches is 105 points higher than it was last season. It's still only 245, which is really bad. His whiff rate is still 39%. He is demolishing fastballs, though. He has four of his six home runs off fastballs. He has 35 batted ball events off fastballs, 94.5 mile per hour average exit velocity. He is just destroying fastballs. And for some reason, he's getting more of them. I don't understand what uh, pitchers are doing. His fastball rate is up to 57% in the early going. You would think it would be the opposite given what he's shown in his career. And so I want to see the he's made the adjustments now, right? He's, he's is holding his own against lefties in the small sample size. I think it's three, three strikeouts and 16 plate appearances. He hit a home run off a lefty. Um, he's doing what you want to see. Adjustments are coming and what the adjustments from him look like to those adjustments are, are going to be the key because right now he's crushing the ball. And I think there are very good reasons to be excited about what he's doing so far. I'm not ready to fully buy in and say, yeah, Jared Kelnick's going to be a star. He's going to be the guy we hoped he would be. You know, I, I still think like there, there's still enough swing and miss in his game. You know, K rate is down to 26%. That's a good thing, but I'm, I'm still a little skeptical. I, I would have trouble bringing myself to sell him just because it's been such a fun start and it's such an exciting type of player and, and all those things. But like if someone was willing to give me a top 100 player coming into the season, I would think I would still have to do it. Like if I could get like, I think if I could get Christian Walker, I could do, I would do it. Um, really? I know I, I might be a little bit of an outlier on that one. Cause I really like Christian Walker still, but like, that's the type of player, but even like, I don't know, throw out an offer and see if you get Jazz Chisholm 
for him. Jazz Chisholm's mm. been pretty miserable so far, but I do still think he'll be better. Um, so, you know, th- those are the kind of offers I'd be looking to make. Yeah, I, I'm still not really 100% sure what to think with Kelnick. I always think I mispronounce it too. I hear Kelnick, Kelnick, uh, like the E isn't supposed to be. I don't I even think know. think it's Kelnick. Kelnick or just Kelnick? Kelnick, but I don't actually know how I pronounce it. I'm, I'm, I think I, I'm not, yeah. I think I heard Welsh and maybe I forget which one of his various podcasts talking about the pronunciation. And I, I honestly can't remember what it is now, but I'm just still kind of a little bit timid on jumping in with both feet. I think we still have to like take him seriously because if you just remember back like a year or two ago, I believe he was ahead of Julio and Bobby Witt in a lot mm-hmm. of prospect lists. He was the number one guy. Um, could he, you think, eventually in their careers, could he have a better career than Julio Rodriguez? Or do you think that ship has already kind of sailed at this point? Or is it too soon to tell, you think? You never want to say the book is written on a 23-year-old, but yeah. I – you know, he's, I think, two years older than Julio Rodriguez. He's already been worse at the major league level. So I, I think you bet on Julio Rodriguez there. But, like, him versus Bobby Witt is a bit more of an interesting one because Bobby Witt's been good but not great so far in his major league career, right? He was pretty good last season. He's continued to be pretty good this season but has not really looked like a superstar caliber player yet. So, um you know, I think Bobby Witt is more an interesting collection of tools than a really fully formed baseball player yet. So yeah, I, think I, I would still take Witt in the long run, but, you know, it's it's getting closer. Yeah, I think Witt's more intriguing from a fantasy point of view than from a real life point of view, um, considering what he does. And he has like from the fantasy's perspective, four homers and five steals so far. I think yeah. he just kind of disappoints in terms of you know how often he gets on base, the batting average and and things like that. It's an interesting yeah. one though. Bobby Witt and Kelnick, that might be a an interesting poll idea for Twitter. But let's talk about one more uh surprisingly good outlier to this point. Another kind of post hype guy, I guess you could say, Brandon Marsh. Brandon Marsh has been getting regular at-bats in the middle of the Phillies order. He's hitting home runs. He's stolen a base so far. We know that the steals should come uh, more so than just one through his first 66 at-bats. But he's looked very impressive in the middle of a good lineup. Is Brandon Marsh a a must-roster player for you all over the place? He's still available in in a lot more leagues than you would think at this point. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the the only one steal. Well, when you've got 14 extra base hits in 21 games, you're not going to have a lot of opportunity. It's true to steal bases. You know, he's probably only been on first base like 15 times all season. Um, so yeah, I, I've been pretty skeptical of Brandon Marsh going back to his prospect days. I was more a believer in Joe Dell. I think Brandon Marsh is clearly winning that one right now and probably will continue to win that one. Uh, given that Adele can't really get on the field as a major leaguer, partially because of his defense. Um, so yeah, I this is one, you know, it, anytime we're talking like like I said, anytime we're talking about a young lefty, the first thing I'm going to go to is what are they doing against lefties? And he's been awesome. You know, 6 for 19, four doubles, two home runs, six RBI. The problem is nine strikeouts on 21 plate appearances against lefties. So I do think there's a little bit of a um you know, a a little bit of a fake out going on there with the production against lefties in particular, you know, the strikeout rate against righties is like 24%. So, you know, that's a little more manageable. I, I think I would say Brandon Marsh is probably a sell high candidate right now. Um, Just mostly based on that, you know, I'm just not sure he's an everyday player, but I don't think this is a situation where people are going to be beating down your door to trade for Brandon Marsh. So, you know, if you can't really get much, like if you can't get a solid starting caliber player for him, I don't think it's a high priority to move him. Yeah, I think he's just somebody you probably ride out. Like he's 66% rostered, roughly two thirds of leagues have him. But I think when there's somebody who's that available still, you're probably not going to have people shoving out too much, especially in your three outfielder leagues where yeah. there's, you know, 12 team, three outfielder league, there's 36 outfielders. Call it 40 if you want to, you know, utility and bench. Is he a top 40 outfielder? I, I don't know. I think you could get there. Yeah. Like, I think you there. could make the case for it, but it's not a slam dunk. Yeah. I mean, he's probably on the cusp there, but he's looked very good uh, to start out the season. I showed you the good. Let's show you the ugly now uh, to use a quote from the wire. Let's start with Juan Soto. 
holy crap. Juan Soto has been incredibly disappointing uh, since he's been a member of the Padres. I'm still on the side of he's going to be fine, but we're at the point where it's a large enough sample size where I think there's some concern warranted here now. Yeah, his swing's all jacked up right now. I think that's the biggest thing is like a lot of the quality of contact metrics still look pretty good. He's hitting the ball hard, 83rd percentile average exit velocity, 95th percentile hard hit rate. Uh, the problem is it's all on the ground, 60% ground ball rate. And specifically, it's like, a, I, I guess like launch angle variance is a is a concept that, you know, I, I think would be interesting to talk about more because this this seems like the situation with, with Juan Soto where like his pop-up rate is higher than it's ever been. It's 7%. It's not massive, but it's higher than it's ever been. And his ground ball rate is higher than it's ever been. And so it's like, you're definitely not going to hit for power on ground balls and pop-ups. Pop-ups are almost 100% outs. Ground balls will be outs about 75 to 80% of the time for most players. And so you're really narrowing your possible chances to produce when you're doing that. You know, the, the line drive rate is just 5%. He's pulling the ball 40% of the time. Uh, he's going the opposite way just 18% of the time. So I, I think all of that tells you is like, is his timing off? Is there some kind of mechanical hitch that's just causing him to not hit the ball quite right? I think that's probably what we're seeing with Juan Soto is that there's just something off. And, and you know, like you said, it's been off for a while. It's been off really since he got to the Padres, although in different ways. You know, last season, his line drive rate was a lot higher than it was this than it is this season. His ground ball rate was lower. He was hitting the ball well, like. Last season, I thought there were fewer explanations for why he was struggling. I saw some like maybe with the deader ball guys like Juan Soto who rely on hitting to the power alleys, which are it's always kind of bugged me. That's the, the power alleys. It feels like a misnomer because it's like harder to hit for power to the power alleys. You got to hit the ball further yeah. when the ball goes out there. Then like like the power alley should be where Nolan Arenado hits all his balls, which is just right to the pull side, right down the left field line. That's where the power is. Anyway, that's my little <laughs> tiny little rant. Um, you know, that was a, a suggestion that I thought made some sense. Like maybe Juan Soto, you know, the fact that he hits so much, so many of his fly balls to the opposite field and, and to right and left center. Maybe it was going to be more difficult for him to thrive in a post-juice ball environment. That's not what we're seeing this year. What we're seeing this year is just his swing isn't right. And so... On the one hand, the fact that he still has a 752 OPS with a jacked up swing is pretty monumental. You know, it, it suggests that Juan Soto is still a pretty dang good hitter. But I do think, like, I understand the frustration. I understand why we have a person who emails us pretty much every day at the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast about Juan Succo. It's one of my favorite recurring bits on the podcast. I understand the frustration. I get it. And maybe Juan Soto is miscast as a first round caliber fantasy hitter. Maybe he's just not going to be the 35 homer guy. And, you know, on base percentage doesn't directly impact your, your value in, in most fantasy leagues. And I'll, I will grant all of those things while also saying, I still believe in Juan Soto. We're still talking about the best young hitter since Mike Trout, if not Mike Trout, since Barry Bonds, if not Barry Bonds, like Ted, like we're, we're talking about a historical guy, a historically great player who's clearly on a hall of fame trajectory. And that's the kind of player that I think you just bet on. I don't really care. Like, Oh, his stat cast page says X and Y and like bet on those guys to figure it out. You know, we've seen stretches from Manny Machado where he hasn't looked great. That's another guy who's been bad this season that I just like, I have zero concern about Manny Machado. I won't look at Manny Machado's stack has page until like June. Cause I just, I have so much faith that that guy is going to figure it out and probably outperform his expected stats because there's also guys that, that just do that. And so, you know, I'm just going to bet on Juan Soto. I'm going to bet on this guy figuring it out. I'm going to bet on the guy who, you know, put up a thousand OPS as a, you know, 19 year old or whatever. Like it philosophically, that's what I'm going to do. And if it causes me to 
remain too high on Juan Soto for too long, I will go down with that ship. It's a re- it's reasonable. I mean, he's it's, it's incredible. He's 24. Like he's been around five years now. He's 24. It's because he came up when he was 19. The yeah. walk rate is still over 20 percent. The WRC plus is still you know above well above league average 114. It's not what you'd expect, but even considering you know how he has a sub 200 batting average, considering those things, it hasn't been as bad as it might maybe could be. Uh, yeah. I think there was some injury thing coming into the year with Soto too, wasn't there? Yeah, he was dealing with a calf injury calf in uh, in spring training, I believe. I don't know that, you know, he's and maybe you're right. Maybe he's not going to be a first round player every year. I still feel like he'll be drafted like in a 15 team or he's not going to fall out of there. Probably like if he does what he did again last season, let's say he ends up with 25 homers, you know, exact same kind of stat line from last year. Does he go in the first round again next year? Maybe he gets pushed probably, down yeah. to like maybe he gets pushed down to like 20 at worst, though. I just feel like people are still going to buy in to the skill set the walk rates are always very attractive even though like you said it doesn't directly impact you from a fantasy point of view i just think the overall package of juan soto is still so appealing especially in that lineup should he stay in that lineup long term which is a whole other question there is he going to cost himself dollars on the free agent market if he continues to play like this and the answer is probably yes i mean someone's still going to throw 400 million at him i'm sure but it might uh, take the cost down a little bit here based on the way he's performed this last year yeah i think that's a concern it could be a situation where, like, we might just be looking at a repeat of Joey Votto. I mean, the difference is Juan Soto is currently the age that Joey Votto was as a rookie. Yeah. I think Soto's 24, 25. Soto's 24 and a half right now. Yeah. So, yeah, Joey Votto's age 24 season was his rookie season, which is crazy. <laughs> like, that is wild that, like, yeah. Joey Votto is arguably a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and oh, he's his rookie season was where Juan Soto is five. Like he's a free agent after this year or whatever it is. Like that's just that's nuts. Um, and worth keeping in mind, what Juan yeah. Soto is doing is is still really impressive. And like, but it could be a situation where like Joey Votto, where he's just not quite as good a fantasy player as a real life player, you know, because he doesn't routinely hit 30 plus home runs and doesn't necessarily drive in a ton of runs. And and so I, I could see that being the case for Juan Soto, where he just like, isn't quite as good as we want him to be for fantasy, but no, I'm not, I'm not really too concerned. And you've got Manny Machado on the, on the list. And, and a lot of what I'm saying, you know, I already mentioned it, but like Machado is one of those guys. I'll, I'll let's just stick with the Padres. I'll, I'll, I'll make the case with, uh, Xander Bogarts was someone that Frank Stanfield and Scott White both had as bust this season. I wasn't like super in on Xander Bogarts. I think I had him, you know, ranked in the 65 ish range overall. I think I might've drafted him once or twice, but there were other shortstops I liked more, but part of it was like, well, the stack cast page is not particularly pretty for Xander Bogarts. And my thought was like, it never has been there. This is a guy that just, there is something about what Xander Bogarts does that is not captured in the the ways that we frequently analyze baseball. Sometimes like sometimes we need to do the deep, deep dive on players and sometimes we need to say this is why this guy's good. And sometimes you just kind of got to just like Xander Bogarts is him as the kids say. You know, like he's built different. And that's how I feel about Juan Soto, that's how I feel about Manny Machado, like I I don't care that Manny Machado's had a bad couple of weeks at all. There, there is nothing Manny Machado could do as of April 25th that would change how I feel about him. So I, I see all the blue on the Statcast page. I'm aware of it, and and you can say, well, he's not hitting well. I don't care. You know, I just, I, I think with with the Statcast data, sometimes we we kind of fall into the trap of like, you know, our our pre you know, analytical brains would be like, he's hot or he's cold. And, and then we kind of got away from that. And and we got like, oh, he's had good variants or bad variants, but sometimes guys do just get cold, you know? And and I think that's what we're seeing with Manny Machado right now is he's just not hitting the ball well, which happens. And, and I think because we have the little sliders and we have, you know, the, the 87.4 mile per hour, you know, this to the 10th of a decimal place, uh accuracy it it tricks us into thinking that like oh this is his talent level now 
but talent fluctuates too. You know, sometimes guys are locked in and sometimes Brent Rooker hits six home runs in 10 games or whatever it is. And I think Brent Rooker is a somewhat interesting player. I I think there's, there's an interesting skill set there, but sometimes guys are just seeing the ball well or are locked in or whatever. And, and that happens for three weeks and the opposite happens. And there is value in looking into that and value in trying to figure out if what Yandy Diaz is doing right now is for real. Yeah. But there's also like Manny Machado. We're 10 deck, 10 years in, right? I I'm going to need a lot more than 20 games. Yeah. The way that the sample size works at this point, if you look at what Trace Thompson did at third game of the season, the three home run game, there's Mm -hmm. more value than you've gotten from Machado the entire season, (laughs) which is crazy, but it just goes to show you again, like how early it is. We're talking about surprises and, you know, there might be some buy low and sell high opportunities, but I think that generally uh, everybody will regress towards their respective means based on what um, you said. It sounds like you're less worried about Machado than you would be about Soto. Uh, yeah, my, my worry level for both of them is, is basically zero, but maybe it's like 0.5 for Soto and zero for Machado. Um, yeah, we we've we've also part of it is with Machado's. We've done this before, you know. I think it was the the end of that season with the Dodgers, or uh, there was one season where he was like not that great, and it was like, uh oh, is Manny Machado good anymore? And it's like, yeah, he's still he's still really good. I, oh. I just I trust those guys to figure it out. Yeah, at the end of the day, your Machados, your Sotos, those first round players, they likely will. Maybe they don't end up returning first round value, but they should be pretty pretty damn close. I think. Let's talk Jose Abreu. Everybody was talking about Crawford boxes, Crawford boxes, the power will return. We're looking at zero home runs through nearly 100 at-bats now at 250 batting average. What's the worry level like on uh, Jose Abreu at this point? Uh, it's got to be closer to like a five because we're talking you know, on a scale of one to ten, which is a completely arbitrary measure. It doesn't actually mean anything. Um, but you know, we're talking about a 36-year-old who was pretty mediocre last season, although the thing that was difficult to figure out about last season was his underlying stats were incredible last season. He had the second highest hard hit rate of his career. He had the second highest expected Woba of his career. All of the underlying numbers suggest that Jose Abreu was as good or better than he had ever been last season, even though the overall numbers were, you know, he hit 300. He still drove in 75 runs, scored 85, but 15 homers. It was, it was a bad season. Now he's just not doing anything well. <laughs> you know, that's that's the difficult thing is he's got the career high strikeout rate, the average exit velocity way down to 87 miles per hour, hard hit rate, career low. Like this, the what I've been saying about Yandy Diaz is like, if Yandy Diaz were breaking out, this is what it would look like, right? He'd be hitting the ball hard, but he'd be maintaining the very good plate discipline and, and hitting the ball in the air. If Jose Abreu fell off a cliff this is also what it would look like right he's swinging and missing way more he's striking out way more he's not hitting the ball with authority in the air anymore he's not hitting the ball to the pull side anymore it all kind of points to like this is a guy whose bat speed has slowed down considerably and maybe that's what we're seeing you know it it, it's certainly the case that jose abreu owns his bad start this is not just bad luck this is not you know, even a situation like Manny Machado where he's in his prime and I feel confident he's going to turn it around. I'm I'm definitely worried about Jose Abreu um, because it this could be the beginning of the end. But I'm I still I'm not ready to drop him just yet. Well, that was gonna be my next question. If in a shallow 10 team league, you wouldn't you'd still be holding on 10 team league. I think you could make that case just because it, it is relatively easy to find replacement options and he was a you know fringe ish top 10 guy for me coming into the season anyway but like then i look at my first base rankings and like christian walker's been disappointing i had him right behind jose Abreu coming into the season nate lowe's been fine um you know ty france right to les is starting to come around but he's been disappointing cj crone we kind of know what he is he's good at home not great anywhere else um Anthony Rizzo has been really, really good. I think you can make a pretty good case for Anthony Rizzo ahead of Jose Abreu at this point. Um, but like, there aren't a ton of third first basemen who I'm like really excited about moving ahead of Jose Abreu either. 
I'm just looking uh, at my home league waiver wire. It's a 10-team league. The best first baseman available, Josh Bell, followed by Miranda, followed by J.D. Davis, Joey Gallo. Any of those guys, would you be interested? Maybe Josh Bell, maybe? I would probably rather start Joey Gallo at this point than Jose Abreu. I'm not sure I would drop Jose Abreu for Joey Gallo, but you know, I, I the rest of them, like Jose Miranda, I find so just blah. Like, I, I don't know what he does that's really impressive at all at this point. You know, he doesn't strike out. That's kind of it, but he doesn't hit the ball hard enough. He doesn't have like an ideal launch angle. So I just, I don't really have much faith in Jose Miranda being much more than an average hitter. Whereas I still think Jose Abreu, you know, if he gets back to being last year's version, I think he should be pretty good. Yeah. Miranda, eh, I was I was interested based on the price, based on what we saw last year, corner eligibility. But uh, to this point, it has not looked very pretty. Let's talk about one of his teammates here. Uh, will be the last guy we talked about here in depth. Carlos Correa. I've never been a huge Correa guy for fantasy. I think he's another one of those real-life Trump's fantasy in terms of what he does. He doesn't steal bases anymore. He's a good batting average and power source, but the counting stats have never been there a lot, really, for Correa, even in those great years. In Houston, he was never somebody that you, you know, 100 RBIs, 100 runs kind of thing. I think he might have had that one year he had 100 runs, but overall... I was a little bit down on him so far. He has not looked very good. Uh, 213 batting average, a couple of home runs, driven in nine. What's your worry level for Carlos Correa? I know that shortstop has been depleted so much at this point that you can't really do anything with him. But how worried are we about him going forward? Yeah, it's tough because I I thought if he hit, um, if he hit like he did last season, I thought he would have a much better season just because the counting stats were so low. You know, 130, 131 runs plus RBI, 134 in 136 games with an 833 OPS. Like that was one where I was just like, if he just hits like he normally does, he's going to be a, an 85 to 90 run plus R, or run an RBI guy. And so far, he's just not hitting well. And so that that makes it hard to test the, uh, the hypothesis, right? Because he's only got 14 runs in RBI in 19 games now. So it's been even worse, but yeah. that's just because he's been worse. You know, he's got... The two home runs, like you mentioned, he's hitting 213. And this is another case where the the stack cast data is pretty grim. The the average exit velocity, hard hit rate, it's all well below where we're used to seeing it. And so I do have faith in Carlos Correa turning it around. I do think he's a buy low candidate, but it's it's harder to make that case because I did think that the counting stats were going to be better than they have been. And so the fact that they've been so mediocre makes it, or the fact that he's been so bad makes it harder to test that. So I don't, yeah, I don't have like fully formed thoughts about Carlos Correa. I still think overall, I'm not too concerned about him, but I, I can't say it's like Manny Machado, you know, where, where he does, he doesn't have that track record. Certainly. No, he doesn't have that five category upside that he maybe did earlier in his career for a couple of seasons, but he just has, he hasn't stolen a base since 2019, uh, which is just that's great. wild. Yeah, it's it's wild to think somebody who in his first two years stole 27 combined. Now, if you look at what he's doing this year, he's running the lowest BABIP he's ever had at 255. He's been th- above 300 almost every single year. His lowest ever was 282. So you figure even just naturally, I know it's not, it's kind of basic analysis, but that should you know come back up a little bit. He's not going to hit 213 for the season. He should be probably somewhere in the 260, 270 range. I think that he's a fine option, and especially, like we said, like the injuries to shortstop with Anderson and Seager and O'Neill Cruz. Yeah. You can't do anything. It's not like there's it's such a flush position like we may have viewed shortstop to be before the season or in years past where you have so many options. You're just holding on to Correa, but to this point, it has not been uh, the ideal start for him for sure this season. Is there anything else in terms of a huge surprise for you in April, specifically regarding any position players uh, that we didn't talk about, maybe something that's blown you away to start the season? I mean, what Yandy Diaz is doing has been remarkable, and it's it's kind of – it's one of those situations where we're always like, just hit the ball in the air. And it's like, well, that's hard to do. It's it's hard to rework your swing, and pitchers are pitching you to try to not get you to hit the ball in the air. And, you know, so far it's been incredible. And Matt Chapman has also been unbelievably good. So it's, it's, um, those are the two that really stand out for me. Just like 
Matt Chapman looks healthy. Looks like he's rediscovered the the pre-hip injury form that, you know, when he got traded to Toronto, I thought like this could be a Josh Donaldson situation, right? This could be a situation where Oakland's a really hard place to hit, but the skill set is really strong and playing in a better park, maybe this unlocks it. And then I just think the hip injury kind of derailed things for him. Well, he's healthy now and it kind of looks like he's he's maximized himself and Yandy Diaz obviously is doing exactly what we wanted him to do. So, uh, yeah, those two guys in particular really stand out as like, I'm buying in not quite all the way, but I've moved them up probably in my rankings more than any other hitters so far. Yeah, that's totally understandable. It's nice to see at a position in third base that is not usually so flush with talent to see a couple of guys uh, really exceed expectations even in the early going. And as a Blue Jay fan, I will definitely take uh, what we've got from Matt Chapman. If he turns into Josh Donaldson, I know Josh Donaldson is not kind of persona non grata at this point, but (laughs) MVP uh, in 2015, that was a big season for the Blue Jays and uh, for Donaldson. So if we can get even 80% of that out of Chapman, I will definitely take it. Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been great getting to know you, chatting to you, man. Yes, thanks for having me. It's been great. You want to just remind everybody one more time uh, where you can be found, what you got going on over at CBS? Yeah, cbssports.com. We do the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast five days a week. I'm on there four days a week. You can still listen to the day that I'm not on, usually Monday night. Uh, And the Fantasy Football Today newsletter. We've been covering the NFL draft, and I'll have, uh, you know, exclusive reactions Friday and Saturday morning for the first two rounds of the NFL draft in your email inbox. So cbssports.com slash newsletters to sign up for that. Yeah. We're still in April and the football people are already taking over. I know. It's okay. I always feel so bad in July when I'm like, all right, bye baseball. I have to go do football stuff. I always feel like such a jerk. If we're being honest with ourselves, football is where the massive engagement Uh, comes from. That's just the king, unfortunately. Well, maybe not unfortunately. I'm a big football fan, but baseball is king here uh, for me. And I know that uh, a lot of people listening here will obviously agree. But guys, I appreciate everybody listening. If you could leave a rating and review on your way out the door, that would really help us. Let us know what you think of the pod. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99. You can find Chris at CTowersCBS. Back tomorrow, we'll recap all the games, or all of Tuesday's action. We'll look at a couple of pitching streams for the following day, and we'll do what we usually do when I go solo. But guys, uh, thank you so much for hanging out. We will see you again tomorrow. Take care.